Hey, welcome back. Welcome back to the What Are You Made Up show here in that one studio. It's your boy C-Rock live for some of you and some of you it's, well, it's actually not live anymore. I stopped doing that. I was doing live on YouTube for a while, folks, and then, and it's just like it was eating up my YouTube channel for some reason where it was taken away from other things. So I stopped doing that. I might go back to it, but we're not live. Well, you're listening to the replay. We're watching. I really appreciate however you're consuming this content. Let's continue that. And also, please rate and subscribe based on whatever platform you're listening on. Uh, I got another great guest for you today. Whitney Elkins Hutton is in the building. She is the director of investor education at PassiveInvesting.com, co-author of the international number one best-selling book, Resilient Women in Life and Business. She also hosts a couple podcasts, Passive Investing Made Simple and Multifamily Investor Nation YouTube show and podcast. And then she has another one, I think. Would you, what was the other one, Whitney, that you mentioned? Cash Wealth Show. Ash, Cash Wealth Show. Ash Wealth Show. Oh, Ash Wealth Show. Ash Wealth Show. And she's also got a new book coming out here in February. And what is that called, Whitney? Money for Tomorrow, A Sensible Guide to Building Wealth That Lasts. Let's go. This is an important topic, folks, because a lot of people stress, anxiety, mental health issues, relationship issues, all stem from not being stable with wealth, with, with income, with, with, with cash flow, And so I've been having a lot of guests talking about this, talking about money, talking about financing, talking about wealth and cash flow, because it's such an important topic. And, uh, you know, listen, Whitney, you've been, you know, studying this for a while, practicing it for a while, and now you're starting to help other people with it, which is an important thing to me, as I mentioned in the green room. Um, but thank you for doing that. And thank you for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. All right. Well, here's the thing. We start the show the same way every time, and this gets our conversation kicked off. And that's the question. What are you made of? Ooh, well, <laughs> uh, you gave me two seconds to think about that. And I, the first thing that popped in my head was sugar and spice and everything nice, but that's not actually not true. I would say drive and resiliency has got me to where I'm at today. Um, so it, those are learned skills, honestly. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people would you know, challenge me and say, you have to be born with drive, born with resiliency. And I would say that's not true. I, I'm a mother, I'm an 11 year old. And, you know, that is something that we're constantly cultivating with her every single day. I have an 11 year old too. That's my youngest. Boy, I have a 17 girl? and an 11 year old and 11 year old's a girl. So yeah, uh, that's awesome. I can relate for sure. Um, and you know, when you say that, you know, resiliency and drive, like what, why do you say that? Like what, what's your story? Like, what have you been through that's really required that of you? Um, you know, the drive, I think that was just something my, my dad was in the air force. Um, and then in the oil business, we moved around a lot. And so, uh, that fed in, and I grew up playing soccer all my life. I was always the smallest kid on the team, um, until I got to college. And then I was one of the bigger girls and I'm, I'm not tall. I'm five, five. So, <laughs> you know, I, I am not like, um, you know, a, a large woman at all, but Anyways, it was always, I was constantly um, kind of the run at the back of the pack. I was the, in high school, I was the woman that played on the men's soccer team. So I, I, but these were things that I wanted, you know, somebody told me, no, you can't have it. And I'm like, well, why, why? Like it was, I wasn't like, it wasn't a vendetta. It wasn't like I was out to prove something, but somebody says you can't do it or not now. I'd be like, why, why, why not now? And that would just push me further. And then, you know, I suffered a lot of setbacks, you know, in, mostly injuries throughout my soccer career. Um, and then, you know, um, as I got older, uh, uh, the death of my, both of my parents, my grandparents and stuff like that, it was like a rough life 
five, six years, like, you know, <laughs> one, we'd get through one, you know, family member passing away. And then all of a sudden, you know, another woman would pass away. And it was just the, kind of the constant school of hard knocks. Um, and just kind of combination of both of those journeys, you know, pulled together, you know, if I had to distill it down, those are the two life skills that I've developed that have helped me get to where I'm at today. I was able to repurpose them. Love it. Yeah. You know, everybody, nobody really escapes adversity, right? Everybody thinks that. And then when you go through it, you think you're the only one going through it. You feel alone a lot of times. And um, that's why it's so important for that, that drive and persistence. And the other thing is self-talk. You know, I'm a crazy guy. I talk to myself. And, and I think I talk to myself so much is because I want someone like me around me all the time to guide me. <laughs> this is a weird yeah. thing. But do you talk to yourself, Whitney? I mean, I don't know if I actually have a full on conversation with myself, but you know, you, you are. You should try like, it. You should, right? you should try it. <laughs> if, if, if I did, I would probably constantly interrupt myself. I'm kind of like the dog from the movie Up Squirrel, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I think I'm constantly watching myself talk because our brain's always looking out for the things that are going to be the aha and get you, uh, you know, that are going to, you know, harm you, make you ill or whatever. And that's, it's hard to hold keeping yourself secure as well as being in um, stepping into abundance. It's hard to hold those two emotions at the same time. And I might actually say it's almost impossible. And that is one of the things that I'm so happy to do with, you know, especially with the launch of this new book, Money for Tomorrow, is help people work, navigate the financial, their personal financial system in order to get secure, right? to eliminate all that negative self-talk, you know, those, those limiting self-beliefs that they've, you know, either were in doctoring with or they acquired somehow and, you know, dispose of those. That way they can step into more of a life of stewardship and abundance and have more of that positive self-talk, right? Like when it's, you know, uh, your life will truly change. It's not just the money. The money is the tool. And so I really am so excited to help people through that process. Now, were you always good with money or did you go through a phase? Yeah. And then like, and where was the catalyst moment that changed that for you? Like, tell me about what it was like first before you got good or understood it. And then, well, and then. <laughs> it was a lesson I had to learn um, over and over again. And, you know, and honestly, by example, my father was a C-suite executive and um, at an oil supply company. Long story short, you know, cash was not a problem you know, when he was growing up, the problem is he, you know, our family was upper middle class, but it was so hard to afford things because they were, my dad was constantly buying new shiny cars, woodworking equipment in the garage, a house that they didn't need. There was all these things. And so I, we all constantly felt like we were living paycheck to paycheck or were kind of poor. Like we would want to go on a big trip and we couldn't, there just wasn't money. I'm like, my dad's an executive at an oil company. Like, how is this happening and so that was kind of like you know pin number one and then he fell ill um you know probably like around you know age 60 um was well actually like earlier than that like 55 he was let go from his job and then things just spiraled down and it was like he had worked his whole entire life for a company and didn't really have much to show for it you know, in the end. And then it was just a matter of like piecing together like life insurance policies and um, disability insurance and all that. I mean, it darn near bankrupt everything. 
So that was one experience, right? I could see the growth, what it was like to have money, like all the nice, pretty, shiny things that you can buy, but there was really no purpose behind it, no impact behind it. And then also, you know, I could see like how quickly the tides can turn, you know, you know, what, what do they say now? Like where the one the tide goes out, you see who's swimming naked, you know, I guess. Yep. Bad image to have, but <laughs> that was my father, like, you know, you know, um, and then, you know, it really dawned on me, like in my mid twenties that I had pretty much built the same thing for myself. I had started investing in real estate. I thought it was like a hot shot. Um, made $52,000 in my first deal. I'm like, how many more of these deals could I possibly do? And the second deal darn near bankrupt me because I didn't have my financial fortress built. I didn't have, I hadn't, op, you know, put in place all those, you know, fundamentals, like setting aside, like, uh, you know, uh, six to 12 months worth of expenses, you know, taking care of my, you know, personal debt, making sure that I was, my expenses were aligned with what I really wanted in life. Like just all these like kind of like simple low hanging fruit things weren't taken care of. And that's, that was the pivotal point, like probably in my mid twenties that, you know, when I almost lost that second property, I was like, wow, wow, I got to get my act together. I'm like, I don't have life figured out. I don't have finances figured out. Heck, I don't even have the real estate game figured out. I thought it was a big hot shot. You know, and once that happened, I, I would like, I'd like to say it was uh overnight success, but it took me, you know, about 10 years to kind of, you know, whittle my way through uh, to put together a good financial plan. And so take us back to that moment. Like, where did you start when you said that to yourself and you're like, I need to figure this out. This is not, I don't want to go through this. Like, where did you start? Like, what did you do first? The first thing I did was actually, um, well, two things. One, I went and got a a good paying job that allowed me to get uh, commissions. And the reason why, and, and you know, if you, anybody's read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like one of the things he says is like, you know, he loves multi-level marketing. He loves, you know, sales jobs because you can really write your own paycheck. And so I hated sales. My father was in sales. I hated sales. You know, he was, a, he was the type of person that I, he said, when you, you really would make a good business person, you would make a good salesperson. Like you should get, you know, do business in college, you know, get an MBA. And I'm like, no, I'm going to get a chemistry degree. I'm like the complete opposite. He was said, do one thing. I did the exact opposite. Um, but it dawned on me. I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, if I had a sales job, I could really write my own paycheck. And it just made it easier for me to sock money away. Um, two, I had to figure out, you know, treat wealth like a game. I wasn't even thinking about multi-generational wealth. And that's what I help people do with this book. It's like, okay, if wealth is a game, then I have to understand the objective. Okay, that is, I need to have enough income coming in to pay for all of my bills to do what I want, when I want, with who I want, for however long I want. Okay, then, so if that's the objective, now I got to understand the rules. And that's what took me like 10 to 15 years to understand the rules. Um, You know, number one, you have to be able to create wealth, right? You have to have residual income. Right. I started off with the sales job, but I had to figure out how to channel that into investments as quickly as possible that kicked off stable income for me, because that is what unlocks freedom. It's not having $10 million in the bank. It's having what that $10 million produces for you on a regular basis that you can live off of. All right. Then I had to figure out how to like align my expenses, you know, making sure that, you know, not just, you know, I, 
Dave Ramsey says, lower your expenses. Susie Orman, they have, they're great at helping people like get rid of debt and lower their expenses. But what happens is it's deprivation. People aren't living life to the fullest. I take a different approach. Like, how can I like understand like what experiences I want to have? How do I want to grow? How do I want to give back and align my spending to those three things that are going to cultivate my happiness? Right. So that's kind of like the base foundation. And then rule number two is like, how do I keep my wealth? There are six things that are going to rob you of your wealth. You know, you and I have invested in real estate. You know, we talk all the time about how to save on taxes. Okay. That's just one of the six ways. Even if nobody got it, somebody here listening was like, heck, I don't want to invest in real estate at all. But there's five other things that you can do to help keep your wealth. Right. You have to understand that rule. These are fundamental principles. They don't change with time, right? These are how the 1% actually like build and keep your, your wealth. And then step number three, rule number three is how do you grow your wealth? Like, how do you invest based on principles, not headlines? How do you invest based for capital preservation, cash flow, equity growth, tax benefits? Okay, that's one thing, but that's not the biggest thing, you know? In 2023, taught us, if anything, that you have to have smart leverage on, on your investments if you're going to have leverage at all. And then you have to you know, understand who the operator is. Either you have to be the master, you have to be the expert in your field, or you have to learn to invest with other people that are experts. And you have to know how to vet them. I see so many investors that are like, who? Tell me who your, your favorite people to invest with are. And that's the level of their due diligence. They don't do anything else. They don't ask any other questions. All right. So when we talk about the operator, you have to learn how to suss out that operator. And then rule number three is you have to learn how to pass that wealth on. You have to learn how to guard it and pass it on. And that can be the money. That can be the knowledge of how you made the money, right? You know, so many people these days are, you know, um, abiding by the die with zero principle, which is I'm, I built this wealth. I'm going to spend it all. I'm going to do my thing. That's fine. But you have an immense amount of knowledge and uh, more importantly, the mindset, the skill set, pass that on to the next generation so they can build their wealth. So, you know, we go through the three fundamental principles that you have to understand in order to, um, you know, keep your wealth and pass it on. So those and- are, those are, those are, that took me like 10, 15 years to put together. And I have that all compressed in this one book. And in, in the meantime, when you were starting to do these things, like you went and got a job and then you started having money again. And, and then, and then like, what, what was your first thing? Did you buy a property? Did you invest in with a group of people? Like, what did you do with the first investment after that, after you got that job? Um, I went and bought a property. I thought, it, it, you know, I, it, for me, I uh, was in the health field. So um, I was uh, actually working for a company uh, that was a sales nutrition job, and um, I didn't have like an MBA. I didn't have a degree in real estate. I didn't have a degree in finance, and so I was like, okay, for me, unless I'm going to go back and do those things, the easiest thing, the most replicable investment that's going to, you know, preserve my money, kick off capital, kick off equity, and help me, you know, leverage tax benefits is real estate. I don't have to have a degree to do any of those things. Right. I've already bought a house before. I have translatable skills. Let's go buy another one. Right. And, but, you know, initially when I went back, I was doing fix and flipping. I was continuing to buy a house, fix it up while living there. And then I would sell it. What the, the light bulb really hadn't clicked for me that if I, 
fix it up, put a renter in it, then refinance and pull out my capital. Now I'm throwing gas on the fire. Now I'm like really like um, recycling the same bucket of money over and over again and then creating streams of income and serving people at the same time because I'm providing them with clean, affordable housing. Right, right. Now, when, when you were doing those kind of things and then we have interest rate increase like we've had over the last two, three years, that's been two years, I guess. Um, doesn't that put like a screeching halt on some people that were factoring in the rates where they were like four and three and 4%. And then they, you know, as far as flipping and then putting a renter in there and the, and the, 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 uh, the, the loan that you need to have on that property that eats into the cash flow, the rate does, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So, you know, I would say when I was building my core portfolio between 2016 and, you know, 2020, um, the, when I was, you know, accelerating my capital, the, the fastest, uh, you know, rates were really low. I could get property, uh, you know, be all in between purchasing the property, the distressed property and the rehab at 70%. So it was really easy for me to go and pull all my capital out and reuse the same capital over and over. Okay. And I could generate cash flow. Nowadays, I can still utilize the same method and I could still probably have that, but I have to wait a little bit to get that cash flow. Meaning I can buy the property. I could probably be all in, you know, about 85%. So I'm not pulling all my capital out. I'm probably leaving a little bit of capital in. My rents are probably covering all of my bills, my principal interest, taxes, insurance, probably property management. I might be putting in my pocket, like, you know, a little bit for reserves and capital expenditures. All right. That you're just like, wow, that doesn't actually like help me generate cash flow today. No, it doesn't. I have to, I can't time the market. I have to, it's time in the market. So if I buy more and more of these properties, eventually over time, those rents, I'm going to be able to raise those rents over time. And now I have the cash flow. But one thing that has really been working for that person who is investing in today's market is the appreciation side. Okay. So I usually call that the icing on the cake, but that is something that's probably more reliable now in today's market is investing in a property, getting in, you know, beating out the other competition by being willing to, you know, uh, solve problems that other investors aren't willing to solve by taking on a distressed property. And you're forcing the appreciation. You're giving yourself a little bit of cushion on that value of the property that you're, you're further ahead by allowing that to grow over the next three, five, 10 years. All right. I have a perfect example for you. I bought a property in a mountain town here close, um, close by in Colorado, and we were actually break even. And that's even with me managing the property in 2020. And it has two units on it. Since 2020, I've been able to, so there was zero, zero cash. Now, the reason why we were, we were okay with buying that property and having the zero cash flow is like, in 20 years, I'm probably going to retire to this property. And that was my end game for this. However, in three years, we were able to almost double the income on the property because um, rents like completely took off in those markets. And we're going to continue to see rent growth. Rent growth kind of plateaued and some markets dipped down. But as soon as interest rates start coming down, asset prices will continue to, to climb. 
which means there's more competition. More people are going to have to rent. The rental market is going to continue to grow. And so rents will start climbing again. All right. So even though you might buy a property now, it might break, barely break even. Over time, as long as you bought smartly in a good cash flowing market, cash flowing potential market where rents are predicted to, to increase, you should see good stabilized cash flow over the next two, three, four years. It's, the, it's just that it's not, you know, what we used to say, like, you know, in the bigger pockets forum, if you're a member there, like the 2% rule, then it became the 1% rule. And now it's the 0% rule. But, you know, we, we will probably start approaching closer again to that 1% rule in the next three or four years. And so when interest rates come down, why would rents go up? Because of the fact that it seems like people would have more access to buy and mortgage payments would be lower. So they would be more current, like more <clears throat> likely to buy than rent. Well, if they can afford the property, the asset prices yeah, yeah. continue to, to climb, right? So yeah. right now, you know, interest rates are high. I have a property um, in Arkansas that have been, you know, trying to take advantage of the run of, of appreciation on and, you know, lock that in and sell it. Um, but the interest rates have kept buyers pretty stymied. Um, I, that market has softened a little bit. So uh, I wouldn't say for me, I'm, you know, still very cash, you know, positive on that property. But, you know, as soon as interest rates come down, I, if I can wait until those interest rates come down, I'll probably get a hundred thousand more on that property. And so, so somebody who wants to, a first time home, home buyer who wants to get in today and not have that competition in say six months, you know, that if they can afford to do it, they can afford the interest rate, they can qualify today. That might be a good time to, to lock that in and, you know, play the game to see how far rates come down and refinance later. But as yeah. soon as those rates start coming down, the asset prices are going to go up and now it's going to take more money, even though it'll be a little bit cheaper to buy the same property. So we should see rents continue to climb because it's just more competition. Yeah, got it. And then so what about the what about the um the thought that this is all being done on purpose in the economy to um shrink the middle class and inflation is, you know, obviously we've seen inflation just go nuts and that there's a there's an agenda like what what's the talk in the in the communities that you're involved with when they talk about like the World Economic Forum and the agenda and what what are people saying and what are your thoughts? <laughs> you know, I I I hear this, but I don't uh, I don't really get into those conversations. Um, and for me, it doesn't really affect the reason why I don't get into those conversations is that it takes my mind share away from what my true purpose is, which is helping people understand how to win at the game. And it's not changing the system. I mean, at some point in time, you know, we would, we'd hope the system changes, you know, that people are, you know, politicians and, you know, billionaires, and you know, are in the you know right parts of the system that can enact change. But, you know, for the everyday person, um, I think that just takes away from their mind share and their 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 focus and their happiness to do what they need to be doing, which is you know fortifying their financial security, growing their financial vitality, and then their financial independence to where when this cycle happens again, it's far less impactful to them right They're in a place to where they can give back and help other people through a trying time like this. So yeah. I have really no opinion for you. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
No, I, and I, I think the same way sometimes. Like, why? Like, I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm going to. I'm a positive guy. Like, fill my head. It's the same thing as a diet, right? But there's also awareness of what's going on too, so that you can control some of the things you can control, right? And I guess that is, you know, paying attention to you, keeping your revenues high and investing. And what, what, what if somebody's just getting started right now and they have a job and they're, they've increased their income, right? What do you advise they do? Like, do you advise them to put up a certain amount of money into a savings account until it gets to a certain point and then invest it? Or like, what, like, what are your thoughts or like suggestions on that? Well, there's several different things that they need to do. Um, you know, one, you know, set aside, first of all, do you truly understand what your expenses are? Most people don't. Clarity, um, right? They have an idea of what their expenses are. Um, if somebody says, oh, my expenses are $7,000 a month, I'm like, hmm, add at least 20% to that, especially if they did those calculations two years ago, right? Um, so, you know, get really knowledgeable about what your true expenses are. Some of my um, favorite tools to leverage are like simplify.com. Um, it's a quick and pro product. And so connect your bank accounts there and, you know, really, you know, understand like what your true housing bill is, your energy costs, your transportation costs, your insurance costs. Because knowledge is power, right? It's, um, and, you know, we want to take action on what those things are. Now, a lot of people would be like, Wendy, this is sounding a lot like a budget. And you said you don't like budgets. Well, again, I want to know what these things are because there are six areas that I want to focus on. And it's not my grocery bill. Yes, it's cool if I want to lower my grocery bill. But if I can figure out how to like lower my taxes, lower what I pay on interest for things. Um, lower the fees that are in my retirement accounts. Those are going to be the areas. Uh, and those are just three that I named there. Those are going to be the areas that are going to save me tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of my life. That and, is and not to interrupt, not, not, not to interrupt, but that's the crucial thing with this is, is those things aren't going to affect your way of life, your, your level of your lifestyle. Right. Mm -mm. No, no, that's not the, really. That's but the crucial part. Yeah, but so many, you know, if you follow Dave Ramsey or Susan Orman, and not, I'm not trying to pick on them or anything because, you know, the, there are people that should be listening to them for sure. Um, you know, we're not, we're not trying to go after your grocery bill or your latte bill or your travel bill. You know, that, that's, that's not it. Those, those, will, those things impact your lifestyle, potentially your happiness, maybe even the way you, you're, how productive you are. Um, but these are things, you know, we're going after things, tweaks that anybody can do and feel very minimal impact to their life, but that, that will save them hundreds of not, you know, you know, tens of not that hundreds of thousands of dollars. The average person who is investing in a, a 401k probably doesn't understand what the expense ratio they're paying on their the investments that they have, or even the overall, like, fiduciary rate or the, 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 the administration fee that they are on their account. And they figured out what that was, that, that would probably cost the average person, I would say like, you know, anywhere from like 400 to $800,000 over 30 years. What if you had all that money back and allowed it to grow and compound for yourself? Yeah. Employers, they're, they're doing people an injustice having a 401k plan. Like it, the 401k wasn't even sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt you there, but like no, I get really passionate about. It. I mean, if you um, and I'm the name's escaping me. The person that who invented the 401k, which is the code and the, the 
you know, 401k, that's the, 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 the number of the code in the IRS code, right? That's how yep. it got its name. And you know, even the person who wrote that code was like, whoa, I never intended for the 401k to you know, replace pensions. This was for the C-suites, the executives at all these companies that needed a way to reduce their tax base, you know, throughout the year. This was for them to like, you know, stuff extra money away and like not pay, it on, pay as much taxes on it now. That was it. It was never meant to be a retirement plan. But then companies smartened up, you know, and I'm really kind of, you know, watering this down, but companies smartened up and they were like, oh, it's less expensive for us. If we, people want to invest in the stock market, they want to have quote unquote control over their future. Okay. They feel like they have control. They invest in the stock market. Let's make these 401ks available to them. And if they take off now, we don't have to pay their pension. So it's cheaper for us as a company to do it that way, we administrate the 401k, but yeah, it is um, potentially, if used unwisely, can be potentially destructive. And I haven't even gotten to the part that if you have over $500,000 in your 401k, like when you retire, you've got a ticking time bomb in your account. It's called provisional income. Again, I'm not a financial advisor. I just, you know, I just help people understand. It's kind of like the, you know, um, the matrix. So like take the little red pill and your eyes are opened and you're just like, oh, that is how that works. And you're like, yeah, that's how that works. Now that your your eyes are wide open, let's get you the key people that are going to help you solve this problem. So you can actually not only be empowered now, but start saving that money and making it grow for you today. And a big part of this is hanging out in crowd or community, the people that are talking about this kind of stuff, Absolutely. real estate investing, uh, you know, uh, are, are you uh, into overfunding life insurance policies, infinite banking? I have two myself. I don't think it's for everybody. I mean, I think there's a lot of other, other things that people should do before they, you know, open one of those type of policies. But I do see it as a tool in the tool belt. I wouldn't call it the end all be all, but definitely a tool in the tool belt. Yeah. I've, I've appreciated it because I, you know, essentially I'm my own bank and I I've tapped my policies many times to, to get assets, especially if I have a closing going and I see another asset, I'm like, I can go snag this one for all cash and then like get this other asset closed. And then I can go back, you know, you've been in the mortgage business and then I can like, <laughs> um, go and like refinance out my cash on that other asset. And then I'm like, okay, great. Like I didn't let an opportunity escape me um, because I could leverage my personal bank to go secure the other asset. Yep. Yep. I love it. All right. Well, where can everybody find the book? Um, I know it's not out yet, but they can go secure a spot, so to speak. Yeah. You can go to get.biggerpockets.com forward slash Whitney. And there um, you can sign up. Uh, to get notified when the book releases on February uh, 22nd, 2024. So just here really shortly. Um, there will be a pre-ordered launch and there'll be tons of amazing bonuses in there. And uh, one of which, if you order during the pre-order launch, I will be um, conducting a live uh, masterclass um, for four weeks, helping you incorporate all the pr- different principles in the book. Awesome. Guys, go check out the book. Whitney Elkins Hutton's in the building. Thank you so much, Whitney. Hang tight while I wrap this up. I appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you so much.
right, guys, thank you so much for watching or listening. However, you're consuming this content. It's your boy, C-Rock, signing off from that one studio on the What Are You Made Of show. Until next time, be that one. Mm -hmm.